0: Touchdown Alabama Magazine, your number one source for everything Alabama football, presents the Crimson Blitz with your hosts, Clint Lamb and Jake Weaver, huddling up to tackle the latest college football news, and sometimes it can get a little controversial. They settle it on the field, we settle it off of it. Get ready for the Crimson Blitz. What's up everybody, this is Jake Weaver sitting here with my co-host Clint Lamb and we're both from Touchdown Alabama Magazine and you are listening to the Crimson Blitz. Today we're bringing you guys more news from spring practice as Alabama football kind of revs itself up for this 8 day game this month. Uh, but today we got some really entertaining stuff. I'm actually going to let Clint tell you guys everything we've got to discuss. Well, you know, Jake, last week Alabama landed a pretty
1: high-profile uh, juco commitment i wouldn't exactly say he's high profile but he is filling a, a position of need at the nose tackle position that's Tavita musika that's definitely going to be a name that we're going to have to get used to saying kind of like we deal with Tua a tongue of i've been trying to say it to myself multiple times over the last week uh trying to get that down and i'm going to continue to probably struggle with it as we talk about him today but How I do think you say it again? Already, it's Tavita musika
0: musika um, so not mufasa musika yeah m- right Musika, okay, right. yeah it's so a little bit different. lion king
1: yeah, and, it, uh, and uh, man, I'm, I, who knows, I'll probably end up calling him Mufasa at some point um, now that you've said that. But he's a big-body guy at a position of need, plays nose tackle, great size at 6'2", 350-plus pounds. Um, he was kind of an under-the-radar guy. He had been recruited by Kansas, had an offer from them, was getting a little bit of attention from Texas A&M, and then, of course, Alabama came in recently with an offer and that was just something that the kid couldn't pass up but he's pretty intriguing uh 33 and a half inch arms he's definitely got really long arms like i say he's a big body guy he's got the family pedigree his cousin you know Vita vey i don't know if you remember him Jake oh, from yeah. us you know from Alabama playing Washington oh, in last year's playoffs absolutely. In,
0: in fact in fact i think he's i think Vedavey i think he's a tremendous prospect this year in the draft
1: well i think that you know to me the athleticism that he shows at his size is incredible, and I know that his forty time uh, was pretty spectacular. People actually were getting a little bit crazy with the expectations, talking about him running a sub four or five at three hundred fifty plus pounds, and he didn't end up doing that. But man, the guy can get up and down the line of scrimmage. He's extremely athletic, and uh, and so Masika's kind of got that family uh, pedigree uh, behind him. Self, so he doesn't have necessarily the height that a Vita V does, but he also has the size. He has the arm length. He was able to be fairly productive despite playing um, an interior defensive line position at the Juco level last year. He put up 42 tackles, six sacks, and two forced fumbles. I mean, that's nothing to uh, to sniff your nose at. But I think that he and his presence is really going to help out Alabama's interior depth, which is something they were severely lacking. They have interior guys like Rayquan Davis and Isaiah Bugs, Quentin Williams, LeBron Ray, lacking that true zero technique nose tackle, which is something that they have had pretty much every year under Nick Saban. I think it was crucial adding a guy like Musika to the roster this late in the game. As far as the interior depth, Jake, what are you thinking as far as guys and how they're going to end up fitting in next year? Who are some of those guys that you expect to step up? We have the big name guys, but who are some maybe guys from last year's class or maybe are going to be sophomores that you expect to play a much bigger role?
0: guy of course I don't, I don't think anybody has figured out how to pronounce his name uh philadrian philadrius uh i can't think i to pronounce the name I'm pretty sure his last name is mathis Federian. Um, i think it's Fedarian mathis there you go close enough either way uh we got some names that's for sure we, we're definitely the all-name team uh this is some key and peel type stuff here uh but for sure definitely i think i think he's a guy god he's huge i don't know if you've seen him but he i mean he honestly it just size alone Kind of, uh, you know, Raekwon Davis is his own entity. Let's be honest here. Raekwon's six seven, you know, he's insane. But let's—I'm telling you this right now—Mathis Mathis has some size comparable. Well, I think at he best. can play.
1: I think he could play a little bit of nose too, and I've heard that he actually will, has been getting reps there. Um, I also think he could kick, uh, could kick out to defensive end if need be as well. Um, but yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that he's a guy. That is being severely underrated in this competition. I, you know, obviously a guy like Johnny Dwight, because of his seniority, and he did make some splash plays last year um, in a limited rotational role on that Alabama defensive line. But um, you know, he should automatically be assumed the front runner to get the limited snaps. Like we've mentioned before, Alabama does not go in their th- you know base three four defense a whole lot. They go nickel probably you know sixty five seventy percent of the time. And
0: So So, so uh, for our guys, for the listeners who maybe aren't quite up to speed on nickel, 3-4, that kind of thing, with the 3-4, you've got your three big front guys and your four linebackers. Typically, you'll have one or two of those guys rushing as a linebacker as well, which you see a lot in our base package or with Alabama's base package. But I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is with nickel because of the way college football has become so spread out. You have to play nickel. You typically see – you'll see your – you'll see three or four inside guys. You'll see those big guys up front. And what happens with nickel is it almost, you, you get like a, you get a four, three look up front. Correct Absolutely. me if I'm wrong, Clint, but yeah, you it's get a that 40 four front. Th- you right. You get that. You get your fit, your four really big guys up front. And all of a sudden you're kind of running that style of defense where up well, front t- it's that four, three. Well, um, typically what ends up happening is,
1: um, you know, in your 40 front, when you go into a nickel situation, it's more, it's, I wouldn't, it's four It ends up being four defensive linemen compared to three typically in a three your two uh edge rushers uh, in the uh, which are stand up outside linebackers a lot of the time um end up putting their hand on the ground and playing a, a defensive end in the nickel situation so they correct myself
0: it's more sometimes it can be more of a four two actually and that way you have your extra guys you get that extra defensive back absolutely secondary.
1: and that's and that, that's what that's why I run it runs quite a bit. Um, you know, in their nickel package, your two defensive ends are essentially your outside linebackers, um, like Terrell Lewis, um, exactly Christian exactly. Miller, uh, guys like Anthony Jennings, guys like that, and then of course your two interior defensive linemen because of their ability as. You know, it's your 3-4 defensive ends that kind of kick inside, play the three technique.
0: Exactly. Um, but let's not forget about guys, teams like Georgia, who we saw last year in the national championship game against Alabama. And, and yes, you'd think Georgia's a great team to run the 3-4 against, and they definitely threw that at them, but they also ran a lot of that nickel. But what you see is you'll see your – like I was mentioning with the 4-3 front, instead of having the linebackers all put their hands in the dirt – Instead, you just have your two linebackers, but you just put your, your four big guys up front because you you want you get guys who can still stop the run. So what you end up seeing is the Deshaun Hand, uh, Quinnen Williams, Jonathan Allen types playing on the ends, and then you get your guys who still aren't super small, but you'll see like Raquan Davis, the guys like that who can c- come come inside and play on them in the middle as well, and so. While you're talking about the nickel being, where you might have two guys, one or two of the, you know, outside rushing linebackers come put their hand in the dirt and rush the quarterback, you're also going to see some of the bigger guys stay on the outside, which is why I think a guy like Quinnen Williams is coming up a year is going to be spectacular. I think he's such a—he almost looks like the Jonathan Allen prototype. It's like if, if you could reincarnate him, I think that's what I think that's who he's going to be. I know that's a lot to live up to. I'm not saying he's going to be as good, but I think he has the potential to be that type of a player. As far as you know, the way he was able to disrupt plays, Quinton Williams really to me has that athleticism look to him for his size.
1: Well, I think that you know, two guys that have been absolutely dominating in practice is Isaiah Bugs and Raquan Davis. And to me, they, they both show the ability to play all up and down the defensive front. I love both their, um, potential as far as being that interior do duo and the uh, nickel package to be able to really provide the, the pass rush necessary from the inside. Now, um, yeah, there are certain situations, uh, where your three, four defensive ends are going to be kicked outside and, uh, in nickel packages, um, but at the same time, it is mostly outside linebackers. true, pure Absolutely. pass rushers. And really what we end up doing is is we end up talking about the star position a lot. Well, the star is not on the field unless um, they are in nickel package. So the fact that the star position is considered a starter position just tell you everything you need to know about how often they go exactly, um, in exactly. their nickel package. And you package. see
0: guys like Tony Brown who come in and are that star guy. Uh, you usually want somebody with a lot of speed. Because what you'll see if you watch it enough is you'll see guys coming off the corner from that position. Nick Saban loves to rush his star guy. But they also sort of play that hybrid. It is it is one of the most unique things about Nick Saban's defense. And I know a lot of guys run it, but you'll see the that star player, sometimes they're safety, sometimes they're playing linebacker, sometimes they're playing corner, sometimes you know, you saw that with Tony Brown. You saw that with Minka Fitzpatrick a lot. Oh, Minka Fitzpatrick was tremendous in that package. But there were times when Minka was needed so much in coverage because Alabama was struggling that they needed another guy, and Tony Brown was that guy so often. You know, in my opinion, Tony Brown was was a little struggled at times in certain plays. Well, even
1: when Minka was hurt uh, with that hamstring injury, he was still able to come in and be effective in some of those games. He just wasn't able to provide the same level of you know deep coverage that he had done in some of the earlier games last season, but they were able to roll him down into the box and let him still be a plus run defender, which I thought was huge for Alabama's defense as he recovered fully from that injury. Now speaking of the secondary, we've got kind of got some some fresh faces in there. We're starting to get an idea of how this thing's going to come together. Now, I think we all agree that Patrick Shirtan Jr. is going to end up playing a huge part in this competition at corner. But right now they got Trayvon Diggs and Savion Smith as their two outside guys. Then you have Shaheem Carter and Kyrie McDonald competing at the star position, which is essentially your nickel corner. And then at the money position, which is when you're going into dime defense, you have another slot corner, essentially. That's been a competition between Daniel Wright and Jared Maiden. Those are the two main guys that have been competing at that spot. And then your two safeties, which I think is going to be a dynamic duo. I think that they're extremely underrated, and that's Deontay Thompson and Xavier McKinney. What do you think about this secondary and how these guys you know who were you expecting to kind of win this competition at star between Shaheem Carter and Kyrie McDonald and then maybe the competition at money between Daniel Wright and Jared Maiden?
0: I think what you really have to look at between these guys is you know one it depends on who wins each position because certain players feed well well off other players. Uh, but I think really what it comes down to, man is I think Kyrie McDonald, this is just an opinion of mine. When I watched Kyrie McDonald's film, and I watched him some, you know, and some of his spring practice and some of the things he's done over in practice last year and some things he's been able to accomplish, he's that Marlon Humphrey physical type guy. And I think that in a secondary lacking that, and that's not to say that Cheyenne Carter isn't. It's to say that I think Kyrie's build allows him to play that star position a little better because he's so physically gifted as far as his bulk you know, speed and bulk don't usually go hand-in-hand, but for him it does. And in a lot of ways, Marlon Humphrey was able to, you know, come down and make plays and play really, really, really physically. You know, I think that's what you expect. And you mentioned Minka Fitzpatrick being really good and a star. Well, that was because of his ability to play linebacker and play safety and play corner. And I think what you want out of a guy like Kyrie McDonald, and I actually thought Kyrie was going to be really good for him last year. I thought he was going to get in there as a true freshman. He didn't. I mean, at the end of the day, Alabama's defense was just loaded. There was just no spot. But I think McDonald has so much physicality, and he brings that ability to come up and make plays from different aspects. I think he wins that job. I think he wins that job. Uh, But, man, it's not going to be easy. Absolutely. And I mean, you know,
1: what's interesting is, you know, Kyrie was not one of those guys that was highly recruited um, or didn't have the star pedigree that some of these other players in the secondary had.
0: Right, right. And then you have to remember who he's replacing, the guys who he's replacing. You know, look, Tony Brown wasn't spectacular, but he was a flashy guy. And then Minka Fitzpatrick was an absolute all-star Alabama legend. You're talking, I mean, that is not... You don't want to follow those footsteps. So he's going to get judged so hardly. Not He wasn't the five-star Minka was. He's coming in as the three- or four-star guy, and, you know, it's a lot different. I think you have to look at it like that.
1: Well, it will definitely be interesting, and I will love to be able to see those other guys like Josh Job and, Jalen Armour-Davis uh, get on campus and see what they can do as far as adding to the depth at that position. I know they're extremely thin there, but I do like how the starters are coming together um, currently at this moment. I think the the group as a whole in the secondary is really gelling. And, of course, adding that dominant front seven that I think Alabama's going to have for the most part next season is really going to take a lot of pressure off of them. But, you know, we talk about how well the defensive line and guys like Isaiah Bugs and Raquan Davis have been doing – um what about that offensive line man I've heard that they've kind of struggled a little bit um of course it was revealed that Jonah Williams why he ended up having to sit out in the second half or for pretty much most of the game in the national championship uh, due to that high ankle sprain apparently he had a ruptured deltoid as well um so that's kind of I know Alabama fans were kind of left in the dark a little bit as far as what his actual in- injuries ended up being and I thought that uh you know, he was going to maybe kick to the right side so far. has been playing mostly left tackle. I think he actually might be only exclusively playing left tackle. I haven't heard anything differently. And from what I've seen, he's only played on the left side. But the offensive line seems to be, you know, really trying to come together a little bit. They have a couple, um, you know, or they have a loss uh, with Bradley Bozeman, the st- uh, starting center from last year, graduating. He'll end up playing in the NFL somewhere next season. But. What about this offensive line, man? How do you see things shaking out, or what are some things, who are some guys that you expect to step up uh, and really kind of carry the torch as far as this offensive line goes?
0: Well, I think we talked a lot about it last week, Clint. I think with the injury to Womack and him being out for the spring, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think – I don't know where your stance was on it. I believe you thought that Womack should take his job back when he gets back healthy. Absolutely um, not. Okay, good. Yeah. Because I disagree with that if you did. I think that at the end of the day, I think you got to play the best player, and I don't think Womack was the best player. I think, like you mentioned last week, if Womack's to play, he should kick inside a guard. I don't think he has the foot speed for a tackle, and that's not to hurt him or to demean him or to put any negative light on him, but I don't think he has the foot speed to play tackle. He's He was playing on what's going to become to his blind side – And that's the last thing you need is a guy that you can't see. The thing with Jalen is it sucks to have a guy right in your face, but at least Jalen was able to get away from it. All of a sudden, you've got the guy who becomes the most prolific part of an offensive line is that blindside defender. All of a sudden, he can't can't defend. A guy comes off the edge. How many times are we going to have to see Tua try to step up? Look, Tua can get the ball out faster. He can see better. But if there's a guy hitting him on every play on the outside, if he's constantly worried about that guy coming – you're in trouble. I think you've seen it with so many teams, it's so many years and seasons that happens. Uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys suffered through that last year when uh, Tyron Smith was injured a lot and Dak Prescott was just absolutely mauled play after play. You can't help but biologically worry about that side of the offensive line. So, I think what And of course, a it, lack of
1: a run game also uh you know, that's simultaneously happening without uh, with also not having a blonde side protector or an adequate one at least on that left side for the Well Dallas, but even with even with Alabama.
0: Even with Alabama, the run game was never a fully committed thing last season. Yes, yeah. Damien Harris was tremendous. But after that they just had no clue what they were doing. And there were so many times because teams were loading the box so much way they couldn't run. They were well, getting a few yards I, here and a few yards there.
1: I completely agree with you. And I mean I do think that um teams didn't even necessarily have to stack the box. Uh, you know, you go back and look at that Iron Bowl, and uh, they weren't putting eight guys in, in the box, you know, consistently um, pre-snap, but they did have a lot of guys that were that – of course they were keying in on the run. Uh, that was by far Alabama's strong suit with Jalen Hurts under center, um, and, and that did affect things certainly. And I do also feel like Alabama just didn't really – I understand they have a lot of mouths to feed in that, um, as far as the guys in that running back group, but I do have legitimate concerns about none of them getting enough carries to really get them into any sort of momentum. I'm not saying you got to get, you know, Derrick Henry level uh, number of touches in a football game, but I do think that maybe cutting down on how many guys you're getting involved in the backfield. Absolutely. 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 I think that that's going and to be key moving forward. We've seen that um, so
0: many years where Alabama at their absolute best when they have the two-headed monster out of the backfield. If you're trying to get three or four guys touches, it doesn't work. And yeah, and and, and I just need don't rhythm.
1: think that they. I don't think that they can impose their will along the offensive line. They don't have those level of guys. Um, I'm not saying that their offensive line can't be very good. Obviously, it can. But I'm saying it just – you know, your your DJ Flukers and your Chance Warmax and just your road graders that were able to really open up holes for your guys like Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson. You know what, Clint?
0: I've, I've talked really badly and I've talked negatively about Alabama's offensive line play last year. But I want to contradict myself a little bit, especially with what I think is going to happen. I think this year the offensive line is going to be the best it's been in years, in many years. I think the talent they picked up in last year's uh, signing class – with uh, Jedrick Willis and uh, Alex Leatherwood. I think these guys are going to come in, they're going to play, and they're going to be tremendous, tremendous assets to the team. And on top of that, you still have Jonah Williams. You have Ross Pierce Piercebacher, Peer- Peer- who's going to play most likely center, like you say. I, I believe you've got – man, I think you've got a real talented team here. And, and, and I mean offensive line-wise, yeah, they're young. It's going to take a little bit to gel. But I think once they figure out their starting five, I think this is going to be a special, special group up front. And then you've got Najee Harris back there, the, the Harris duo. I mean, you you can't look past that. Damian and Najee are going to tear it up in the backfield with Tua at quarterback throwing the ball and able to get the ball out. You can't low the box. You can't play down. You can't key in on the run because Tua will throw it right over your head. And I think well, that brings things. so much to it.
1: There's two things that I, that I want to say about that, and the, I completely agree with you about the offensive line. What's crazy, and I think what's got everything in such an influx right now, is the fact that we're not sure who the quarterback for Alabama is going to be next year, and that makes a difference. I'm not saying I you know, think we could sure.
0: decide. Uh, well, you know, Saban obviously is not. I we can Saban sit here and is say sure. um, if Saban I, is as smart as he comes off, Saban is sure he just won't say it. Well there I is think that no way that Jalen Hurts can win that starting position this year. There's no I, way I,
1: I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, you gotta look at getting in his mindset. He's gotta know what it's doing to his offensive line. I'm not saying, you know, they could ultimately decide that John Williams is gonna play left tackle no matter what, whether it's Tua or whether it's uh, Jalen. But at the same time, um, you got four offensive linemen returning from last year's squad. And they're struggling. Now, granted, I think that has a lot to do with Alabama's talent along the defensive front, and that's what's causing them a lot of problems in practice. But obviously the not, the unit as a whole is not where it needs to be. That fifth starter still needs to be found. I do think that a guy like Jedrick Wills, whether he plays right tackle or whether he kicks inside the guard, um, if he ends up getting into the starting lineup, I do feel like he's really going to help the run game. He is, you know – light years ahead as far as being a run blocker as compared to pass protection. But I do think he's adequate enough in pass protection and athletic enough on the right side that if he remains at right tackle, I think he'll be fine. I'm not saying he probably will be the weak link as far as, um, pass protection offensive lineman goes, but I think that he'll still end up being pretty good in that area, but he would really provide a boost to the run game. Matt Womack was a solid run block blocker, but at the same time, the limitations as far as your lack of ability to be able to adequately protect the quarterback can affect the way teams play against you specifically as a blocker when it comes to your run blocking as well. And so I think that that ends up playing a part in why Womack was able to do, do well as a run blocker, but I feel like overall Jedrick Wills or somebody else on that right side can end up doing better. But, you know, as far as two and Jalen goes, obviously – two is back to throwing. That's excellent. I don't think he's, you know, anywhere close to full strength. I do know that some of his passes have not been, you know, he's definitely not going to be throwing with the same velocity that he typically would be, but it is great to see him back out there and getting reps, um, trying to go into year two. And if he can make, you know, he was already phenomenal as a true freshman. We got to also remember there's plenty of room for growth here and that's really scary and so I was very excited to see him back out there because I really feel like that will help him um, moving forward in
0: his development. I agree. And, and I know Nick Saban is the ultimate decider and who gets what position, but let's not pretend like offensive and defensive, defensive coordinator have zero say. I mean, they get something. They get their word in at the very least. And Mike Loxley being here for a few years, he knows these guys. He knows his receivers. He knows their feelings and their thoughts and the way they were feeling last season in the locker room. And if Jalen Hurts won the the, the starting job, those receivers are going to turn. And I'm sorry to say it, man. And I know we talked about it a lot last week, and I don't want us to get back into it again this week. But I think at the end of the day, everybody wants their touches. It's the reason guys transfer. And it's the reason guys go find different schools. They go to JUCO. They do whatever. People want their touches. And if you're a star receiver with star potential, and you're only getting the ball maybe one or two targets a game, and at at best, and they're not, not even always great hits, you're gonna you're gonna get frustrated, and you're not gonna play 100. I'm Well, sorry that's to an say interesting
1: it. point um, with Loxley. I mean, obviously you as a a football player feel a lot more comfortable with your position coach. And I know Loxley coached the receivers last year and he was in that receiver room. And so last season, uh, some of those guys like Jerry Judy, um, and other players that weren't getting the touches or the targets that they were looking for, um, probably expressed their concern with him behind closed doors. And, you know, he'll certainly know that going into this season now that he's the offensive coordinator. But at the same time, we also can't say that Saban necessarily, um, you know, I'm not saying that he doesn't listen to his coordinators. That's obviously not the case, but if it if the rumors are true that Brian Deball was preaching for two all season and obviously we didn't see him until the second half of the national championship game in any sort of meaningful action, that should tell you everything you need to know about uh, But, I, but I think this is a
0: different and this is a different entity itself. Brian Deball was new. Brian DeBall had not been there. Brian Daboll comes in. He sees this guy. He says, "This is guy's extraordinary." But Saban has that. We've talked about it. He's got such loyalty to his players, and the seniority is so important to him. But he, at the end of the day, he realized it. How could you, as a head football coach, how could you possibly, especially a guy as successful as him, how could you make that decision in the biggest game on the biggest stage when you're down, put that guy in? him have you know lead your team from behind to victory and then bench him again for the next season you can't do that there is no sane coach no sane person that would do that Jalen will have to come in and absolutely become superhuman if for them to do that and I just don't see it unless him shaving those dreads off causes him to become the next Tom Brady it's not happening and at the end of the day it doesn't matter what happens this offseason unless Tua God forbid gets in, during the, during summer practices or something, he is the starter. He is their guy. And everybody knows it, but they have to give Jalen an opportunity to show he's not. You know, But I think Jalen has it. I think Jalen, the best thing for him, unless he wants to go into coaching, I think Jalen should transfer to a Juco and then go somewhere where he can get a couple years as a starter in and then be a place where he can, without all the weight of winning, where a place where the system fits the quarterback, not the coaches. He can go and learn a pass and become that guy he wanted to be.
1: Well, winning wasn't necessarily the issue. I mean, that's something that I don't agree with people coming with that argument that he only lost two games in two years. Um, But I will say, uh,
0: I don't think... But there's a lot of pressure when you have to win like that. And when you're constantly told, don't throw, don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes, they didn't tell two of that. They said, you're down 13 points, find a way to win. Well, and and I've said
1: this multiple times, uh, I do feel like there's two completely different approaches to the way Tua um, approaches the game compared to a guy like Jalen. And I think that that ultimately leads to a lot of success for Tua as a player, and that's what makes him stand out. I think it's his approach. Um, But at the same time, um, it's very tough for me. I I, I want to agree with you, Jake. I want to say Tua is the guy. Obviously, I'm approaching you know a lot of the ways that I look at the way the offense should be structured for Alabama, and I'm sitting there saying, you know, I'm gear. I find myself gearing towards the assumption that two is going to be the starter. But at the end of the day, um, until it's officially announced, I can't go all in on that because it's just something about. I don't know what the holdup is with Saban. It, it could just simply be respect. Do you for actually Jaylen? think
0: it's ever going to be announced? Because Saban's not the guy to announce that. He'll just throw two out there to begin the first game of the season, and that just is what it is.
1: Well, I think that the problem that you run into is you're kind of hurting Tua. Uh, I'm not saying, obviously, he's a special player, but if he's your guy now, I get you want to respect Hurts, but you're talking about half the first team reps are being wasted on Jalen Hurts compared to a guy like Tua who could be getting valuable experience. I understand that he got plenty of experience in a lot of low-pressure situations last year, and then he got a lot of experience in some in a very high-pressure situation with his final performance in the second half of the national championship. But you're talking about spending an entire offseason playing up a quarterback competition that you don't even think exists. And I'm not talking about me and you. I'm talking about from Saban's uh, point of view, that's a whole lot of wasted. You know, your offense not really buying into one It guy is, but yet. even
0: the greatest players in the world need that competition to remember, hey, wait a minute, I could lose my job. And, you know, I think that's what Saban's playing at. And it, and I think it hurts. Jalen hurts more than it you know, no pun intended, I think it hurts, hurts more than it hurts Tua. I think it so much does because you're telling him almost falsely, and that's not to say that Saban won't consider it. I mean, like, look, Saban has shown the loyalty, but I don't think you can look past the things that Tua was able to do. That offense was so much better. The offense, they could not, if, if it's not for that defense in those last two games, well, in that last game and a half, Alabama doesn't beat Clemson. Alabama offensively, I mean, was awful. Alabama was terrible. Alabama's defense is what led them to, w- to that victory. Well, I don't think Saban
1: approaches really uh, – his mindset and the way he approaches things is not done in the same way. I don't think he really uh, values assumptions. And Now, granted, I'm not saying that your assumptions out of nowhere. There's a lot of times I'm assuming the exact same thing, but – at the same time, I think Saban is going to going into this quarterback battle with a completely open mind. And that way, if Hurts somehow miraculously, which I'm not saying that's going to happen. In fact, I highly doubt it's going to happen. But if somehow miraculously Hurts is the better guy, Saban will be able to see that. And so if you approach it in a way where you've already made your decision and you're just pretty much going through the motions to support the decision you've made, you don't have the same kind of open mind that would allow you to see things as clearly as you would if you were truly being open-minded about it. And I think that's Saban's approach. I think he also agrees that, you know, more than likely it's going to end up being hurts hurts or excuse me, uh, Tua is obviously the front runner right now based off of the way that he performed, but he doesn't want to completely write off hurts. He wants to have that open mind and allow hurts the, uh, give him the chance to show, that he is the better quarterback, if in fact that he is. And if he what is – What do
0: you think Hurts would have to do in spring and summer to prove to Nick Saban that he's a better football player after everything that's happened over the last two seasons? It's very tough, and I'll tell you why. The things that Hurts does the best,
1: he can't do in the spring because no, he can't get hit. Exactly. And so, obviously, you know, when you got guys in shorts and shoulder pads a lot of days and um, quarterbacks can't get touched and things like that,
0: I think, two is going to blow Jalen out of the water
1: as look, far as Jaylen's what he's Jalen's performance
0: able to do. in last year's 8A game made everybody, including myself, drool from the mouth. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, Dayball is the man. He's come in. He's helped Jalen. Jalen had perfect release. He looked good. But he still made some mental errors in the passing game. And, it was, it, and look, too, it wasn't great. But, to his ability to put the ball right where it needed to be just – proved that he was a better player even at that point in his career. But Jalen had a great performance, especially on paper, and you can't look at that and you know deny it. And I think it made everybody drool. The media was just going nuts, thinking, hey, this is the guy. I thought Hurts was the Heisman. I thought I put earlier in the season, I put him down as one of my top Heisman guys. I thought he was the guy. Didn't happen. Didn't work. My fault. Well, I was wrong. But let me tell you this. Tua is special. And you said it all year last year. This guy is a Russell Wilson type player. I don't know so much if I believe in that, uh, maybe that comparison so much, but I think he's the guy who can really be special and you can't look past that. And if they put Jalen Hurts as the starter, if you're T- uh, Valoa and you sat there and you came out of the locker room of the game where you're down and the national championships on the line and you lead the team back to victory and you're benched the next year, that's unbelievably insulting. Look, Jalen has had a great career, and you can say it's insulting to him that he's won yada yada games, only lost this many games. But I don't think Jalen's insulted by that when he looks at the numbers and he says, you know what, you're right. I can't throw here. I'm messing these up. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I need to work on those. I think he's honest. His father's a coach. He knows what he came in saying, I don't want to be a runner, I want to be a thrower, because he knew he was a runner first. And he has not been able to break that because instincts are hard, if not impossible, to break. And Clint, we both know it.
1: Well, I, I'll sit here and say, the bottom line is, Tua is going to approach things differently than you do. He's proven that. He does not have Absolutely. the same kind of mindset that you do. and Which is really, why he's way more successful than I am. Well, but and, and, and I think that he also understands. I'm not saying he won't transfer, but... I don't think Tua or Jalen either one had the kind of mentality where they're going to look to blame somebody else for them not getting the job done and then not becoming the starter. If Jalen proves on the field that he's the better quarterback, Tua is the one right there sitting next to him watching Jalen make all these throws, do all these things and vice versa. The same as Saban. He sees all of it. So if it's obvious to Saban, that Hurts is the better player, which, like I've said multiple times, but I don't want it to get confused. I don't think that ends up happening. But if it's, you know, night and day clear to Saban that Hurts is the better player, it's probably going to be clear to Tua that he's the, that Hurts is the better player as well. And so I don't think you're going to see any kind of sulking or anything like that from either of them. And it's not going to you're not going to feel disrespected because you're going to know on the field you got your chance. It to you know Jalen was a has been the Starter for the last two years, he's taken Alabama or helped. I don't want to say he's taken; he's helped take Alabama to two consecutive national championship games. And that was my argument. You're you're involved in the conversation for the quarterback job. The fact that you've been able to come in, it's like uh, Justin Fields with you know uh, Jake Fromm. Uh, if if Justin Fields comes in and they're talking about a quarterback competition and stuff, if Fromm wants to feel a little disrespected by that, okay, fair enough um but at the same time should it, he's what is happening is Justin Fields is being given an opportunity to show what he can do but I but think, I think it's crazy that, that it,
0: if and if you've put it on the field and on the tape that you can play and that you're a tremendous guy that a newbie or anybody coming in shouldn't take your job immediately until they can prove that they're just, unless they just hugely better but like you said that was my defensive Jalen so much was he took the team to you know two championships in a row he this this record and he was great and let's not be I mean let's be honest and in a lot of places he was exactly what they needed a guy who could run and then he could surprise you with a couple of big throws that you didn't think he could do and that helps you win huge huge games but at the same time I you know we're talking about Jalen in his true freshman season when he puts that in the end zone to beat LSU. You know they were it was just a zero to zero going into the fourth quarter that like never happens anymore. And he gets it in the end zone on the ground, and you're thinking, man, this guy's the guy. But look. If you got a guy, and I'm not, not, we can't assume, and you know Nick Saban's not an assuming guy, but if you can throw the football in that game, you can open up the run game, and you never worry about that. You're never 0-0 going into that game. You're 21-0 going into that quarter because you're able to throw the ball. Neither team was throwing. In and, and all the games that Alabama has struggled in over the last two years, is because they couldn't throw the football. And then since they couldn't throw the football, they couldn't run the football. Okay, you, but my, my point is this. Has a player ever showed development in an offseason? Absolutely. Why why would they not? Absolutely exactly, and that's my point. But Jalen Saban- Hurts has two off seasons. He had the spring almost the winter even of his first year when he was helping be Deshaun Watson in practice, he's had two off seasons to prove he was changed and he hasn't proved it. His last year. He had an entire season as a true freshman under his belt to improve. Didn't, didn't seem to improve much over the you, off season. You can't,
1: you can't sit there and approach it and say the guy was playing high school football. He comes in the spring. Wasn't really considered a guy that should even be in the competition you can't say the guy didn't show improvement after playing high school football oh, two or I'm not three saying, months earlier. I'm not now, saying granted, he didn't improve during that summer. He did have, I'm he saying saying did have was, one offseason.
0: Improved during your first and second year, but he had that first offseason to become the quarterback of, of a college quarterback, you know, leading team, a leader, leader of a team, and he did that. But then he didn't continue to improve. He kind of stalled out at what his level or his bar Agreed. might be. And so Agreed. my point is – you take that and you say, okay. Well, now we can't got write two off the tongue player tongue. two years in
1: completely. I would never just write Jalen didn't. off.
0: I just told you, I think he should go to another school eventually and become that guy. And then in a system that is a spread out, we're going to throw the ball system, which isn't necessarily what we've been, what Alabama has been, and you have to throw out there. Just like we talked about with Jeff Driscoll before, is you've got to see Jalen go play somewhere else, get his yards in, and maybe he can become that passer, because Nick Saban and company clearly didn't trust him to drop back and make the make the reads. But they trusted. Well, I will Tua. say,
1: but the bottom line is, the Saban's taking the approach. In my opinion, hey, if he can become this guy that you're talking about him transferring and becoming, if he can become that guy, I kind of like to have him here. He that'd can't be. be nice.
0: But how? But it's not always possible to become that guy and that's, the, that's what I'm saying. If Alabama was 8-4 and four last year or 9-3 and three, and you're like we just want to improve, you absolutely can throw that guy out there and say, hey man, just throw the ball, get your mind there, ready to go. But He's proven not the not to have the ability to do that against this high level of competition. And if and if you come in, like you said, from high school and you're playing high schoolers to playing in the SEC as a true freshman, and you're making mistakes or whatever in the passing game, you're not making reads. People are talking about it. It's not going to be easy to just shove all that off in one off season. I mean, there it doesn't now, hold, happen now, hold up often though. enough. Uh,
1: uh, okay, now granted, was Tom Brady, Tom Brady at Michigan?
0: Absolutely not, because he was even splitting time with another guy early But he in his had career. four
1: off-seasons to improve. You're right. Why, why, would, why in the world would uh, Bill Belichick take a chance on him? He had all this chance to show he was that Tom Brady, and he didn't. My point is this. You but don't, Tom Brady
0: was never bad in college. Uh, Tom Brady was, still uh, no, was, showed the ability to throw the football, otherwise nobody would pick him up. Well, I mean, I agree with you,
1: but at and the same Jaylen time, what, my it. point is, Jalen Hurts can throw the football. Which is he why his, he
0: needs different competition so that he can learn the reads. I don't think it's the physical ability. I think it's the mental ability with Jalen. And that's something that you're talking about. That's something that he can't improve at Alabama is what you're saying? He can improve during the offseason, but if he's sitting on the bench on the sideline, you don't put a guy in to improve like that. If a guy at that such a critical position, if you I'm have a guy saying... behind him that is already probably three or four times better than him, why would you play a guy that just, just so he can improve on the off chance that he becomes the next Tom Brady or whatever? That okay. is, is so—I is... mean, I know you don't believe that. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth there, Clint, as I know you don't think that because we're both on the same page at two as the guy. But my point to you is you can't—as Nick Saban, you don't throw Jalen out there on the off chance that he improves. You yeah, say, that's
1: that's what you're not understanding about my entire point. My point is, you're not throwing hurts out there with the off chance that he improves. He's leaving himself an
0: open mind where if he's proven that he's improved. But how you said it yourself, how can you do that in the spring I'm, I'm when saying, you can't make the plays you usually make? Well,
1: that's that's my point. Is it forces him? The only way he can outdo Tongavaloa in the spring is to outpass him, essentially. So I'm saying, Saban's entire approach. Hey, I'll give you a chance, but you're gonna have to go beat that guy in that aspect because that's really how we're gonna. I mean, sorry, but you can't use your legs like you know we know you're capable of, and they'll certainly keep that in mind. But what I'm saying is, yes, it's unlikely. We're, we're and we've uh, we, we're in agreement on that. But I think this is the problem with a lot of um, fans in general of sports is. They don't they, they 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 say, okay, that guy's not gonna be what we expect him to be. He needs to go somewhere else to try to fix it, or you know, he needs to be the backup quarterback. Sabin takes the approach, I'm not gonna make that assumption. I'm gonna make you prove that to me. If you're not capable of showing improvement two off seasons in a row, you're going to have to prove that to me. And when you prove it to me, then I'll go with Tua or I'll officially announce Tua. And he can have this idea internally about who is going to end up winning the job. And I think we all know anyone logically can look at it and say Tua, it should be the guy at this point in time, but you, he's decided Jalen's at least done enough in his mind, not in your ears and in, in my mind and, and a lot of other people's minds, but in Saban's mind, Jalen has done enough in his two years at Alabama to deserve the opportunity to prove Absolutely. no assumptions.
0: Absolutely. And you don't assume. And I agree with you. Look, if Jalen goes out there and makes every read and is somehow just spectacularly better than Tua in the in the, in the, in the offseason, I can see them wanting to roll with him or give him an opportunity or maybe have it be a two-quarterback thing until somebody wins. But ultimately, man, like, the chances are so slim because we've seen against true competition, what a guy can do in spring against a defense that's not actually trying to hit him, and there's no consequences to your actions except for a couple of win sprints, there are literally... I could go out there and have a successful day, but I'm not going to become a starting quarterback because in the moment I'm going to lose the game. I know in the Absolutely. big moment I am not going to win. Yeah. He's proven to be clutch at some times, but then you have to look at the ultimate point is when Alabama struggles because they couldn't pass. And then it leads to the other problems and that falls on Jalen's shoulders. And you can't, take that away from what the situations were you know the read option is all great and fun until they're loading the box and you're not able to get the ball out because you have a bad offensive line or whatever and, and, and ultimately yeah if Jalen shows that but still still the receivers the guys around them I hate to say it man but they want Tua they want to. They're looking forward to having a guy to get them the ball. And if you put Jalen back out there, you are risking ostracizing those receivers. I'm not saying they're divas again. I'm saying that they are guys who want the ball because they're human. And now, granted, did, have you talked to any of the receivers? Have I talked to the receivers? No, I haven't talked to the receivers. I'm not going to put words in their mouths. But I know well, you just did. I, I know uh, being uh, that, no, but I know being as a, being a former football player, coach, doing those things with players, I know guy. Every guy wants the ball. You are you going to talk to one receiver that doesn't want the ball in their hand? Have you ever talked to a receiver like that Absolutely doesn't want not. The, f- the football? Okay. It's but not, I'm saying it's not wrong if, to if, assume that. Well, it, it's wrong to assume anything, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean that we don't all do it. Do you know how point. many rumors there were last year? We talked about it last week that they were just, you know, kind of distancing themselves from Hurts because of the way that he wasn't able to distribute the ball. Tua comes in, everybody picks up their level of play. Absolutely. Every single so, but player I, my, on
1: that team. But my point is, if Jalen in practice, they're practicing with him every day. If he's throwing you the football, if all of a sudden he's distributing it to everybody, he's throwing pinpoint passes, he's looking phenomenal. Are you saying that they're still going to want Tua? Are they just going to build? I mean, mean, I'm
0: not going to say that, but I'm going to say they've seen Tua do it in high stress moments where they haven't seen Hurts do it at all. Well, and that's. uh, But what I'm saying is, is they'll get that chance to see it and it
1: won't be the assumption. I'm not saying that you're wrong in saying that right now, based off of the knowledge that they currently have, they might prefer Tua. I'm not saying you're wrong
0: on that. A, we don't know that, but that would, that would I would say that would be a safe assumption, but I it is still an assumption. Having a, what it sounds like is what you're saying is you go into the season with the idea that Jalen is going to get the first couple of reps, and then you throw Tua out is what it almost sounds like. Because, I mean – I don't see a world in which Jalen just completely overtakes Tua and is the starter for the season. I just don't see that happening. It's just no way. And, you know, yes, there's a chance that he becomes some legendary passer or or, or, maybe not legendary, just becomes elite. But, again, you have to remember what we've seen on tape. He's had two seasons. I'm not going to say he can't improve. Guys improve all the time between second and third, third and fourth season. But let's be honest here. We've seen two seasons of Jalen Hurts. And if he couldn't get it done in those two seasons he's played every game as the starter in that time period, what do you think could, realistically, how how much could he possibly change? That's what I'm trying to make a point of. I I understand what
1: you're saying. And, you know, this is not going to be a political pivot. I'm using this as a point. Um, I stopped making all these vast assumptions when I heard for – a year plus that there was no way, no way Donald Trump could possibly be the president of the United States. There's no way he would win. And it, that was the whole thing. At the end of the day, there's, it's impossible. And who's the president of the United States, whether you're for him or against him. He, and from that point forward, I started telling myself, I'm going to stop saying anything's impossible.
0: It might look the odds may look very, and I'm not saying that. I, it's like I said, I'm right you there. Got with you got me there. You got me there, man. Look, Clint, you've got me there. You don't even have to continue that because you got me at that point. I can't say that anymore. And there's so many more things to say outside of just politics where I can't say anything's impossible because it's just proven not true. We've sent cars in outer space. This is not true. I, but my point still stands in the fact that maybe it's not. It's not likely is a better way to put it, or it's highly unlikely. But I think at the end of the day, you can't look at a guy's tape, his tape, what he's put on the field, and still say he could get better. Yes, he could get better. Absolutely. But compare the tape. Clint, you know, because all season last year, you loved all up on Tua. I mean, yes, Jalen could improve, but how could— is Tua not going to improve? Because you just said it yourself. It could be scary about how good Tua could become. If Tua, I mean, if Tua is already above Jalen, if Tua goes through the offseason and improves even more, how, I mean, can Jalen, that's such a big gap. How could Jalen possibly close that gap if both improve at an equal rate? Well, what ends up happening, and I've had this same
1: kind of debate regarding, and it's funny, I, I don't think I've ever in my life had a, a topic that does this, but I tend to agree with the masses on the Jalen-Tua split. And I'm not saying that you're wrong on anything you say. I'm not saying that it's not very hard to believe that there, that you know Jalen can make those strides. I'm not saying that it's hard to believe that Saban's already assuming that uh, Tua's going to be the guy. What I always come back to is that you have to let it play out, regardless of what you think should happen or will happen. We, we consider and say all day, it would be absolutely insane for Saban to not make Tua Valoa the starting quarterback next season. There were people, and I was one of those people, down, especially down the stretch of last, se- last season, that said there's no way Saban shouldn't be making a change right now. And he didn't. And it wasn't until the second half of the national championship when finally he made that switch when people had been calling for it for quite a while. And so I can sit here and say I kept thinking that, you know, I, at one point I even told people all major coaches that were great at one point, whether it was Joe Paterno, whether it was uh, Bobby Bowden, any of your greats always had that one thing that was their downfall. I think Bobby Bowden's was, he was old school in the, his approaches as far as defensive hey, and offensive philosophy. same goes for less Miles. Absolutely. And he was too stubborn as the times changed and as football changed, he was too stubborn to adjust. And I do think that's one of Saban's strong suits. He does a very good job of adjusting to the times. But... Like I said, every major coach has that one thing that's kind of their downfall. And at one point last season, I'm not going to sit here and deny that the thought didn't cross my mind that this that Jalen Hurts could be Saban's downfall because he was so stubborn that it, with the whole seniority thing, and he loved Jalen as a person, and whatever
0: else was the reason that he wouldn't put to an end. But with let, let me, Tua me Tua say this to Clint. Let me say this to Clint. And, and we'll wrap it up a little bit here. But the the thing for me, man, and, and, and we might have to agree to disagree a little bit here. Um, but let me say this. I think the difference becomes this. When you're in the middle of a season and the offense isn't working great, it's really difficult to change quarterbacks. It, you know, if an injury happens, it sucks. And that's why teams who get injured guys, even if the backup is great. What Ohio State did when uh, – was a Braxton Miller that went down and then JT Barrett goes down and or whoever it was. And you've got to put Jones. I can't, Jones. yeah, there you go. I can't remember his name. I know they call him 12 gauge. You know, you've got, this guy has to go in. It was unbelievable that they were able to win with that. But at the, the thing is, and that's what made it was astronomically different. That doesn't happen. Everybody wrote him off when they got injured. And all of a sudden here they are as national championships, at, at national champions at the end of that year. But let me say this to you, man. And this, and this is this, is different. The difference of style between Jalen Hurts and Tua makes it so almost impossible to change the game plan for them. It was unbelievable to make that change at halftime, but I think maybe they had an idea that might happen, and so they had a backup game plan. I have to say this. When you're in the middle of a season and you're trying to figure out quarterbacks and you're playing two different quarterbacks, that is a gigantic detriment to the team the receivers get no there's no gelling i mean you're not going to get that you know quarterback receiver duo you don't get those guys getting to know each other the running backs don't ever pick up the you know look a handoff has a handoff but a guy could hand it off a little differently and then all of a sudden on the option plays where you know whether or not the quarterback is pulling it out of your hands or leaving it in your hands that builds with with consistency and repetitiveness and you know I don't know how much expense you have with that side of things but you see that so much in guys who are new to it you know guys who are not great at it Jalen made some errors last year often where he should have handed it and he didn't because there were certain aspects but the point is you don't get gelling anywhere if you're trying to play two guys and then you don't have the time to sit down you don't have to tell your 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 the people you're playing you're Opponents, who your starting quarterback is. But if you don't know going into that first game who your starter is going to be, that's a problem. We saw well, it with Blake Sims. Nobody thought Blake Sims was going to win that. Jake Coker never saw the field because Blake Sims went out, showed his grit, proved, and I think Saban knew who he wanted the guy to be going into that well, game.
1: Okay, there's the first thing that I'll say to that is this. Your point with Ohio State proves my point. And that is, you're talking about Braxton Miller and JT Barrett. One of them, them, Braxton Miller, is now playing receiver in the NFL. Obviously, he was not a polished passer. JT Barrett has been diagnosed with the same concerns that people have for Hurts as far as he can't – he has no deep accuracy whatsoever. JT Barrett will never be a starting
0: quarterback in the NFL. And see, that's your – He'll be lucky to be a second quarterback. Exactly.
1: And yet – the guy that's 6'5", 250 pounds, has a cannon for an arm, had led them to a, you know, with a some Cam Newton-esque uh, straight, down the stretch, three games, won them a national championship, and he was a significant part of them winning that national championship, and he was benched to that guy that you're talking about that's never going to be an NFL quarterback. So my point is, uh, you know, just as many people thought it was crazy based off of what Cardell Jones had showed in his physical abilities
0: that he should not be the starting quarterback. But you that. have to remember at this time, though, this is a different situation because JT Barrett was so young at the time. JT Barrett was a newbie. He, I think he came in for Braxton Miller. You mean a sophomore like Tua? Yeah. But the difference you have to think about here with JT Barrett was nobody knew what he could do. He had no tape. He didn't have a lot of tape on what his... He had that
1: stretch when Braxton Miller went down, and he had a he looked phenomenal for that limited stretch, and then he of course went down too. Right, but but I mean, he
0: still it was that only that one year, which is the same thing with Jalen. Is yes, he had struggles at certain times, but we still thought, hey, maybe Jalen can turn it around with a good with a better coach. Maybe Lane Kiffin wasn't bought into helping him, whatever. It didn't happen. Now you've got two seasons of tape on him, so it's so different. Because JT Barrett was like this guy who was so young, you're thinking, oh my gosh, potential, potential, potential. But he goes down, and yes, Cardell Jones was able to do things that were unbelievable for a guy who played only like three games that year. But ultimately, JT Barrett went out because they thought, this guy's going to be here for a few more years. We've got a lot of potential here. This is a guy who... You know, in that stretch, had those moments where he looked like the phenomenal guy of the future, and now the joke is that JT Barrett was like an eighth-year senior, and he was awful pretty much every year as far as the passing game goes. I hate to say it, but you can't. I mean, yeah, it's unfair, and I just, but I don't think it compares because I don't think JT Barrett, with the film he put out there, he looked like a potential in the same way Tua did in his game. I think you have to roll Tua to in the moment because of the potential, where Dalen is sort of more of the yeah, he's still got potential. But he still has he has a little bit less of because he's put so much on tape that you kind of get the idea. But Glenn, I think it's time we wrap things up here, man. I know you probably have another thing, a few things you want to say, but I think we probably should. Well, get I, this am thing gonna wrapped say, up. I am going
1: to say I am going to say one more thing because I do think it's important. Is I'm not saying that you're wrong with the whole, um, you know, uh, going into the season as far as there still being lingering quarterback questions. But I will say the last couple times that it's happened, you're talking about A.J. McCarron versus Phillip Sims. Uh, That was not settled. It wasn't settled until really the second half. Yeah, but let's be honest.
0: Well, wait a minute now. Michigan... I'm, A.J. McCarron was a starter going in that year. That was Yeldon's year. I think he was already deemed the starter way before that. No,
1: no, no, no. They went into that season against Michigan, and both players played in the first no, half. No, they,
0: that was, it was the year before that, Jalen, I mean, that A.J. and Phillip, because I was at the football game, and it was a crap team. They were playing a crappy team and to blow them out, even though they threw, like, four picks. Oh well. Either way, they went into a season. Okay, but it's maybe it's so different when you're playing. They're playing Louisville this year. Louisville's not Louisville great. Just but they're lost still Lamar Louisville.
1: Jackson, and Alabama's like thirty point favorites right now.
0: Yeah, look, and I'm not disagreeing with that, but it's a different stage than playing Georgia Southern or somebody. Now, in, what about at home even? And remember that it's not a home game. What about Jake Coker and Cooper Bateman?
1: You, with well, when they played Wisconsin, the number six team. In the country, yeah,
0: but Jacob Coker was the starter of the entire game, and then they benched him, and then we started becoming a quarterback
1: battle. And then for Coker one game, won the team over in season for one no, game, bo- bo- yeah. And I then agree. Jake
0: Coker came back and was showing them like, guys, this was wrong. And guess what? Alabama lost that game. Alabama yes. lost that game because it is detrimental to the team shaking it up the quarterback so much. You need to know, the team needs to know, everybody needs to know, especially with the difference between these two guys. Right now, with two and Jalen, there's two different styles of offense, two different styles of play. One's left-handed, one's right-handed. In it itself is hugely different. And then the style, the way they play. But listen, man, let's wrap this up. This is a perfect segue into something we wanted to talk to our guy, our listeners about. We've got some really cool stuff headed everybody's way. Starting next week, we've got two segments. We're going to start out for the first one. is going to be called uh, Clint. You want to go ahead and let them know. Yeah,
1: you know, we, we're, yeah, we're super excited about this, guys. And what we're going to start doing is it's going to be called Change My Mind. And you know, really, it's kind of the same concept. It's almost as, exactly
0: what we were just doing.
1: Yeah, and what it is is what we want to be able to do is one of us state an opinion that opinion could be anything um, it, it, hypothetically not saying that this would be the case but I might sit here and say you know um, Jake I feel like that Sean Alexander or excuse me I feel like Damien Harris will end up being a better running back than Sean Alexander change my mind and then what we're going to be able to do is me and Jake Jake's going to try to convince me to change my mind on that opinion that's going to be my opinion and And it's going to be things that we disagree about. We're going to have the healthy debate back and forth, and we're going to see if he can change my mind, and then vice versa. Uh, So we're going to do that with a lot of different topics. It's going to be fun. It's going to kick up some controversy, kind of like today. Me and Jake are going to be going at each other, trying to figure out, uh, you know, really get our opinions out there and try to establish, bring the other person to their side. And then the other one is, of course, uh, what we're going to be calling the corner blitz. And what that is going to be is just us taking a short amount of time. Just like the corner blitz, it can come out of nowhere. You never know when to expect it. And at any point during the podcast, we're going to be able to call our corner blitz. And it might be something that has nothing to do with sports or football or anything. It might be something completely unrelated, but anything over the course of the week that has bothered Jake or I, or something that we feel opinionated about, we're each going to have one that we can pull out at any point during the podcast. And we're going to be able to call our corner blitz, change the topic completely. We'll have a five minute time limit on it. And we're going to
0: hash this thing out, Right, get our opinions out. And the idea is that it comes out of nowhere, like the corner blitz. And what most likely what these things are going to be are extravagant news that almost came out of nowhere it's going to be things that stand out to the rest just like we talked about with the corner blitz when you do that it's a gamble and you're risking it and you're going for it and you're like i hope they don't see this coming sometimes it bites you sometimes it doesn't but at the end of the day, that's why we're doing. It. That's why we've named it what it is. And these are two segments that we're really, really excited about, with a lot of potential. We hope it makes you guys so much more engaged, and we want to hear your opinions. And if you've got, if you think Clint won today's little argument, then tell us. If you think I got it, let me know. Feed my ego a little bit, you know. Uh, but ultimately, I think that's exactly what we're what we're shooting for: is is more engagement and ways to make it so much more entertaining. And we really hope that these things take us to the next level. Well, Jake, I have had a lot of fun today. I know that we end up, what we've
1: got to do is find something else to argue about. Uh, Every day. We need to argue
0: every day. And,
1: you know, and what's, I am looking forward to seeing what you come up with and what I can come up with that's going to create some of these healthy debates. Um, But this has been the Crimson Blitz. We we are glad that you guys have been a part of the ride. We're looking forward to being able to hop back on here next week. And come next week, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. There's supposed to be that Alabama scrimmage on Saturday should be a lot of talking points coming from that and then we'll be able to update you guys on some injuries and some of the things that are happening in practice over the course and we'll be of even next closer week.
0: to the NFL draft as well so a that, lot of our guys you know we get old Payne and Ridley and, F- and fits we're gonna have a there's lot, a lot of players about
1: that. yeah and there's tons of guys to talk about and we can kind of get into those some of those debates as well so like I said this has been the Crimson Blitz I am Clint Lamb he is Jake Weaver. And we're out.